I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, I am watching, I'm watching three HBO shows or HBO, one of them's HBO Max, I can't call it, but um, I'm watching that Taika, is it Taika? Is it Taiko or Taika? Anyway, Taiko Watiti, is it Ki? That, you know who I'm talking about. That one kooky kiwi, that was just fun for me to say. The guy from New Zealand, um, <laughs> who, um, I think he's part Maori. I think he is. Um, anyway, he um, has that show about the gentleman pirate. And the only reason why I'm interested in that show is super kooky and not something that I typically watch, but he, he's funny to watch. Sometimes the shows that he's in are funny, even though some of that humor is just a little too dry for me. But like the reason why I'm into it is because duh history. And I actually know the story of the gentleman pirate. Like, and I'm a nerd, so that's the reason why I'm watching it, only because I want to see how you can satirize this man's life. But like, it's not the most interesting show to me, but it's be- I'm interested in it because I know the story of The Gentleman Pirate. So I'm watching that. I'm also watching Gilded Age, which by the title, you know, I'm talking about Gilded Age today. Um, but I'm also watching Winning Time. Because I know that story too. Well, I don't know know the story. My daddy know more of the story than I do. And so I'm going to do my husband. But I know the opening scene to Winning Time got me because I remember growing up and wrapping my brain around HIV and AIDS. I remember the first time I wrapped my brain around that. And it just so happened that I became aware in the early 90s when there was this huge movement we were vocally as a commu- as a globally talking about the impact of HIV and AIDS globally, but also more so talking about it. I don't know that we were talking about it specifically in the black community, but we were talking about it globally, I think. And I remember wrapping my like, how old was I? In 1990, I can't call it. I must have been, because I was watching HBO documentaries. I wasn't old enough. When did Magic, was it 1990? (gasps) It was 1990, so I had to have been like seven. I had to have been like six or seven or whatever when Magic Johnson made his announcement. I I can confirm that later. But, um, but yeah, I, anyway, um, so uh, the the start of the thing hooked me and then learning about knowing what the Lakers ended up being. Winning time is about the Lakers, the, the rise of the Lakers. And so we know where the Lakers were after a certain point with Magic Johnson and all of the people that played for them. Um, but like that opening scene got me and then I just stuck around. Now it's super misogynist and, and weird in places, but it's, well shot. So at some point I'm going to talk about winning time, but today I'm definitely going to talk about um, the Gilded Age because I also, because again, man, history is my thing, you people. History is my thing. And so I should have just majored in history as much as I, it don't matter. Anyway, but I'm going to talk about it, but I don't know that I'm going to talk about it in the way that you think. Um, 
I will talk broadly about it because I think the penultimate episode was last week. If I'm not mistaken, the penultimate episode was last week. So this, do it come out Sunday nights? Is it Sunday nights or Monday nights? I can't remember because I'm always watching it whenever it pops up on HBO Max. But I think the penultimate episode was this week. And so the final episode uh, the finale uh, of this season, because you know it's already been renewed. Um, the finale is this week. Um, and so I think I'm just going to talk about this thing. If you are not watching this show, mm, I understand why it might be not be appealing to you. And I'll go into all of the reasons why for I've actually fought watching this show. Um, and if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know why I fought watching <laughs> the series. But um, anyway, I'm going to talk about all of that. But first, I do absolutely have to acknowledge the weirdness that is Baltimore City's state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, and her being indicted and the foolishness that's around that. I swear, you guys, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, I know that Baltimore is not unique in that officials, like, I know that Baltimore is not the only city where, where officials come under fire and scrutiny for this, that, and the third. I happen to, you and I both know that in small communities across the United States, across the globe, there are some leaders that because they're in the small township, get away with doing whatever they want and some of the most, caught up in some of the most salacious scandals ever, but have been doing them for years because it's, the town is so small and, and what have you, like fill in the blank at reason as to why. So I know Baltimore is not unique in having political officials um, or government, state, local, what have you, local uh, officials being caught up in some sort of issue. But it just seems like since I've moved here, like maybe not every year, but like routinely something has been happening. If it's not a scandal, no, it's literally been a scandal because even when you talk about commissioners, even when you talk about the issue of commissioners, and um, I remember a couple of years ago, was it two, three years ago at this point? Um, I had made an episode about the revolving door that was at one point our commissioner, commissioner's office. And also openly talked about the tax issue that I can't even remember the name of the commissioner. I just remember he had curly hair. He was brown and he had curly hair. Um, the, the issue that we had with him and, and tax issues or taxes. But remember, I remember when I first got here, Norris, I remember Norris, who's on the radio out here. I'm sure I've shared it before, but he's like on the radio on some sports show local sports show commentating he's I think he's originally from New York but like he got booted I can't remember exactly I think it was fraud it was like it some sort of corruption I believe it had something to do with and when I'm saying booted I mean ousted from his position um because of some sort of corruption 
And so, and this is the same guy that was on The Wire. He was, oh, he was a detective on The Wire. You wouldn't know, if you're not from Baltimore, you probably don't know nothing about nothing. But he was one of the detectives, um, white guy, bald, I think he was bald. Like he, yeah, yeah, he shaved head, kind of round. And he had a new, he was one of the actors that had like a New York accent because like that was his real accent. And what we know is that The Wire used a lot of Baltimore natives and people who were connected to city officials for realsies, like in real life for the show. And he was on The Wire. And so I think when they were, when they were removing him from office or what have you, when that was taking place, um, they were bringing up the fact that, oh, he was living this lavish, excuse me, lavish Hollywood life. He thought he was hot stuff or whatever. You know, you know, the, the usual banter when, you know, that, that the news media and, and other folks kind of drum up around, you know, the salacious dealings of a political figure or a city official. And so anyway, it just feels like, so I came into Baltimore having known, that was my first scandal that I had heard about a political uh, official being a part of, or at least the one I was aware of. I'm quite sure that where I come from and the cities where I've lived, there were scandals that were happening with public officials. It's just not something I was paying attention to. But I remember moving to Baltimore and having heard about Norris, Commissioner previous commissioner Norris and something about corruption. And that's why he was removed. I know that he fought those charges. It had something to do with him buying a house in Florida or something like that. Can't call it. Or there's some sort of property, owning property. seems like owning property out of state does tend to get these officials in trouble um, because of where the money came from, like the money trail. Anyway, so I think it has something to do with that, but I'm too lazy to Google it because it's not even material to what I'm talking about. Well, the details of the case, I guess, isn't the issue here. It's the fact that that was my first entree into Baltimore politics and hearing about somebody being removed because there was a accusation confirmed or otherwise, or too close for comfort that something improper was happening. And so he was removed. Um, now again, that was my interpretation of it. Probably. I don't know if it was proven or not. I know he was removed. He was ousted from his position. And then apparently, I forgot the name of the commissioner that we had, but he was like really great, but he didn't get along with Mayor, um, Rawlings Blake, I think was the mayor at the time. He was a mayor, he was the commissioner under Sheila Dixon and then she got removed. She was the first mayor that I knew about, that I had seen in person, um, who... I had seen out in the in person, like with my own eyes, but then I had known about all their their great works that they were doing. I also knew co-workers that were, and they, one of the jobs that I was working at the time when she was removed from office, um, one of the people that I worked with, she was in development. I, I've always worked in nonprofit, so she was in development and she was one of those ladies that like gets the dollars, like the big money. And I, she was talking, and in order to get the big money, you recognize you got to move and shake around in the, in the circles. Like you, you need to be able to handle yourself and be able to move efficiently um, in the community to, to get those dollars, especially city dollars, you know, for a nonprofit. 
So anyway, you know, and, and it was interesting because she was from the same, she was from the same, uh, she's from Kansas City too. This woman that I'm talking about, she was from Kansas City too and she found herself in Baltimore as well. Um, and anyway, so, so I remember her speaking so fondly of uh, then Mayor Dixon and just talking about how unfortunate it was. She particularly thought it was unfortunate and a misunderstanding as to why she was removed. Again, y'all remember. If you don't remember, um, Sheila Dixon was ousted largely because of improper use of gift cards, which, again, I still maintain that's a heck of a way to get caught up, like a heck of a way to get caught up. Like, how do you get caught up on something that feels so pitiful? I think buying property, getting caught up on buying property feels equally as pitiful because you can just dot your I's and cross your T's. Like, I don't know, but maybe things are more complicated than I'm making them sound. They're not as simple as I'm making them sound. But anyway, so, but so Norris, Commissioner Norris was the first that I had heard about, but he wasn't the commissioner when I moved here. It was another guy. Um, that, but Mayor Dixon was the first one that I had experienced being ousted. And then came Stephanie, who wasn't ousted, but she became unpopular based on her handling of the Freddie Gay, the uprising that followed the, um, the unfortunate, tragic murder of Freddie, Freddie Gray. Um, and, you know, so she was ousted and that here comes girl, her name is escaping me, Kath, Catherine Pugh, who removed the sitting commissioner, who arguably, arguably a lot of folks thought that they were doing a good job, but the boss of the commissioner is the mayor and she removed him. Who knows? Maybe there were personality clashes. Maybe they just weren't, maybe they just weren't vibing. And so she removed him and then put in, it's not Dixon. What's this guy's name? I can't, it's, it's right on the tip of, again, I'm seeing his face. He's brown with curly hair. And anyway, he was, like didn't pay his taxes or some junk. Some, some issue with taxes. And then he got, so like he was in, he was in the, um, what do you call it? He was in office for like a couple of months and then he got booted. And now we're to Harrison, who, <laughs> it's not a scandal, but he recently did something weird with his wife where it was just like, I think they're, I don't know that they're ahead of a church but they're like leaders in their church here. He's from, I don't know where he's, I think he's out of Philly. Like he's from Philly, but he comes from New Orleans and he's here now. And I guess he and his wife have a home church and, or have a, have a church base here. And anyway, I just remember recently that some weird, some weird, um, stuff were floating around social and I was just like, I don't really want any part of this because it feels weird and cultish. Um, but like regular complaints about him, regular complaints like, oh, you're not doing enough or, you you know, try different tactics. Don't do the same old, same old, but like nothing, no corruption, just dude is probably a bit of a weirdo. Um, but you can be weird in your personal time as long as you're not corrupt. Um, and so now we come to Marilyn Mosby and I'm not 100% sure, and I should probably bring a little bit more attention, but I'm not 100% sure why um, 
why these charges have come up, but they're federal and there are several of them. And I believe it has a lot to do with improper use of funds. So the same, the same issue that Norris had, or at least the, the, the issue that came up about Norris and the same issue that came up about, shoot, I mean, I, I skipped over Kathy Pugh being um, removed from office like she wasn't caught up in that he- healthy holly, some sort of, they didn't say it was money laundering, but they alluded to healthy holly being a scam, those books being a scam. Um, and so coming to know from just living here in Baltimore that corruption, especially as it relates to improper use of finances, is something that is easily enough to prove, I guess, which would make me think if, it's, if you've had a lot of predecessors, even if they weren't in your same field, if you've had a lot of predecessors or public figures in your city, in your area, being caught up on these within recent years, not, not decades ago, but like a couple of years ago, then I'm wondering, I don't know, maybe I'm just, again, maybe I'm more naive than I'm, than I'm allowing myself to, to know, but, you know, maybe maybe just people go on the offense and try to find any little or defense and try to find any no no offense and try to find any little way to try to get you because maybe it is easier than you think to not file paperwork correctly but it just feels wild to me because she's going she and her husband who you uh so it's Marilyn Mosby and I can't call his name it's gone now but he's a council person Nick Mosby he's a council person here He's not my council person. Um, is he the city council president? He is the city council president. Um, and anyway, you know, going after the both of them for improper use of funds. And right now they're looking into, yet again, house in Florida, making sure the thing was being paid. Maybe it wasn't house in Florida, but it's a house outside of the jurisdiction of Baltimore. Um, and making sure the funds were properly um, being used, I, uh, the latest thing that I've heard is that there, as part of one of the indictments against Marilyn Mosby, it was alleged that she improperly took $500 from her husband or her husband labeled $500 a gift and it actually wasn't a gift. It was something else. Um, so again, like, I don't know, man, like People be messing up on their taxes all the time, accidentally claiming something that they had no business claiming, double claiming a thing that they didn't mean to claim. You know what I mean? Like regular people mess up all the time on their taxes and filings and all of that stuff. But I'm just like, I would think that you would be even more on your P's and Q's as a public official, especially since corruption Improper use of money has been a con- has a regular theme from Norris all the way up to Kathy Pugh. And again, I know these are we're talking about commissioner, the difference between commissioners, mayors and now a state's attorney. But like I would think that you would be on your P's and Q's because people are looking out for that because we have too many examples in the last decade 
where folks have been caught up. I would think, but then maybe arrogance is a heck of a drug. You know what I mean? Maybe it's a, it allows for you to have a heck it's some real fancy, nice blinders on you. And again, I know Baltimore is not unique. It's just, it's right here because I live here. <laughs> so it's right in my face. And I'm just like, daggone it. Can we catch a break? Can we like catch a break with some of this stuff? Because, you know, kind of falls into the stereotype, don't it? But then again, like I say, every city, every city has somebody who's looking for something on somebody else, Um, which is not to say that people aren't out here being shysty because they probably are being shysty. You cannot rule that out. It's just on the one hand, why in the world would you be so arrogant as to be out here shysty like ain't nobody going to call you, can't nobody whoop you, can't nobody check you? Because we have too many examples of people being checked. You ain't that special. But then on the other end, dag, why are you? Because you recognize that sometimes things just do happen. Things are missed. And again, $500 seems like a, a trifling amount of money considering these people move millions of dollars because of book deals and stuff like that and speaking engagements. They get paid buku dollars for speakers fees and all of that stuff like $500 seems like a trifle amount but like if you really want somebody every little dollar every dollar counts right so I'm like the amount of forensics accounting that you have to do to find something like this seems like you've been looking for something and why are you looking for something and that and this is where we come to the argument that a lot of people have against the indictments for uh, against Marilyn Mosby, which is, oh, y'all just y'all been trying to find something to get her on. Because how why would you find a five hundred dollar gift? You know what I mean? Like, how would you find that? It's such a trifling amount, considering I'm quite sure that both of them handle in their finances thousands of dollars monthly. You know what I mean? Like a lot of money monthly, well, thousands of dollars, depends on how many thousands we're talking about on a month, but I'm quite sure lots of money changes, changes hands with their family, largely because they have speaking engagements and just get, get money. And for various business ventures, you already know public officials have other jobs too. Like that's kind of the thing. And so how would you find that unless you've been searching for something? And so that's the argument. It's not an excuse to overlook corruption if, it's, if it exists. It's just, on the one hand, why be sly if you don't have to be? Because you have too many examples of people being sly and then being caught. But then on the other hand, dad, you are really, you really got it out for this person if you try and, if you find in $500 of misappropriated funds, of what you consider to be misappropriated funds. Anyway, I just think it's interesting. I have no idea how it's going to land. She's an attorney, so I'm quite sure she's got good attorneys backing her up. It's just, it's several indictments. And one of the things that I've learned about federal indictments, and I don't know if this is an intimidation factor, this is just like folklore, not folklore, but you know what I mean, like the hype. But every time I've heard anything about a federal indictment, when the feds come for you, it's when they have, when they show you why they're coming after you, it's because they already have all the proof that they need and they're just going through the channels. Now, again, I don't know if that's an intimidation factor, if that's just a hype factor or if that's legit. I don't want the feds to ever come for me. I don't want to know what that's like, my dear. I don't want to know what any of that is like. But I just, 
it's interesting all the same. It's extremely interesting. And, oh, Kathy P was getting out, by the way. Didn't I hear that Kathy, she was, she's getting out because she went to federal, she went to the feds. She did federal time and I think she's, she's getting out soon. Because it was like, not 21 months, it was, maybe it was 21 months. When was she indicted? No, when was she convicted? Healthy Holly came out, I think it was 2019. I remember Justin Fenton breaking that in like January or February of 2019. Like he, I remember starting to read some of his articles where he was following the trail and the breadcrumbs began. He began dropping those or at least writing about following those breadcrumbs like January or February of 20, um, 2019, something like that. And then whoosh, it, the thing, the thing just went from there. Was Healthy Holly 19 or 18? Nah, I think that was 19. Anyway, I just remember that whole trajectory being a hot mess. Um, yeah. And then we had a little bit of young. Yeah, it was, it was 19 because then pandemic came in 2020 and then young was voted out and Brandon Scott came in. Um, and then of course there were issues coming up with him, but nothing financial. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting, interesting, um, politically here in Baltimore right about now. Um, we'll see how this thing shakes loose, but, um, I guess, yeah, I guess this is a, this is a decent enough transition. Um, because speaking of (laughs) politics, um, the Gilded Age, this show, which is written and produced, I think, by some of the people that created Downton Abbey, no, is it Downton Abbey? I've never watched it, as you can tell. Um, I think perhaps there were some people who had a hand in the crown that are on this thing. But anyway, um a show about society in New York at the turn of the century, which was dubbed the golden, the Gilded Age, not golden, but Gilded Age by um, a a phrase that was termed by, I think it was Mark Twain, um, who far be it for me to, to quote Mark Twain in his very racist of the times person self or itself, but anyway, he he termed the phrase gilded age, which is not to be the same as golden age. Golden is solid, gilded is wrapped. Uh, another material wrapped in gold to appear as gold, but isn't gold through and through, which is a pejorative, but it was a term that I didn't even realize it was pejorative. I think listening to the background of this show reminded me that gilded is not gold through and through, which means it's an imposter. It's a sturdy, good-looking imposter, but nevertheless an imposter. And it, it is a great way to describe society in the turn of the century when you have this whole community of what was considered to be 400 families who could trace their lineage back to revolutionary times. Um, and they were gatekeeping who was cool and who wasn't. 
and gatekeeping who could be in the group and who sh- who could not be in the group. And so the basis of this show is all about the creation of society, high society in New York. And perfectly titled Gilded because it's all vapid anyway. Like, what are you really holding on to? You're holding on to something that you had no part of and you're making it have value. But isn't that what the cool kids do anyway? They create a thing and they put the value on it and they make it exclusionary so that the value is higher. That's fashion. That's why, you know, uh, uh, what do they call it? What do we know? The, the major fashion houses. That's why Gucci can buy a bag that's manufactured in a plant in Taiwan that they pay for. They, the, the unit price of the bag is like $40, but because they put the Gucci emblem on it, they can charge $400 on the thing and people will buy it, even though the same manufacturer can sell out those same $40 bags to ASOS or to um, uh, Pretty Little Things or, you know, those fast fashion locations, those fast fashion places. And they will sell the, the they will sell it a mark, at a markup. So that what was $40 for them is now $60. You can buy it for $60 at Pretty Little Things or what have you, but it's the exact same bag. And I'm not saying all of Gucci's bags, or I just use Gucci, but you get what I mean. A major fashion label can buy a bag from the same manufacturer that a low brow fashion brand can buy it from, but because of name recognition and that price point, folks will go to, will flock to the same bag with the Gucci emblem on it than the ASOS bag. Um, because of that name rec- recognition, Gucci has it, it established itself as a prestigious fashion brand that you should want to buy things from. And if not, if Gucci is coming out of fashion, then fill in the blank, uh, Balenciaga, same difference. What we see, remember, remember a couple of years ago, they were coming out with house shoes, slippers that you could get at any corner store in any urban city. You can get them at the corner store, but they were coming out with the same House shoes, they look like house shoes is the best way I can describe it. But like fill in the blank, they've got, um, what are they calling it now? They're, they're doing, some of these fashion houses are, I'm talking about fashion because it, 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 it applies. But uh, some of these fashion houses are doing this thing where they said the double waistband. Double waistband ain't nothing but sagging jeans with the underwear showing, but they're calling it double waistband. And they're selling it for buku dollars. Buku dollars. Like, I don't even bother. I, I couldn't even tell you how, what the price point is because I'm not looking at it. I just know that I, I think the thing that's catching my attention is something that was from the 90s that people did as a style choice. Show your underwear. Like, at, what I know is that folks, you wouldn't even be seeing their actual underwear. You would be seeing a pair of underwear that they wanted you to see, but then they actually had another pair underneath that and then they would sag their jeans so that you would see for the look, you would see the underwear that they wanted you to see and then the jeans to, to go with that look and then they would match their, sometimes they would match their shoes or aspects like a color on their shoes to their underwear. And like, I'm thinking of girls and then have a crop top on or something to really like show it, right? So like, but now major fashion houses with huge, with big name recognition and, and even bigger price points for their items are selling what any one of us could do 
what any one of us probably have done and calling it fashion. And so there's a whole conversation about how the highbrow fashion industry steals from black and brown creatives all the time and never gives them any credit and then takes their work and doesn't give them, not only do they not give them any credit, but, but opportunity and of course not any of the money. But again, that goes to the point we put, we make value is what we say it is. And in, and in a social world, especially when we're talking about the Gilded Age, value is what their co- commerce was as much social standing in the community as it was the money you had in the bank account. The money you had in the bank, bank account didn't always convert to social standing, which is the crux of what we're seeing in the very first episode and actually the thing that we're seeing throughout in the show and Carrie Coon's character, uh, Bertha Russell, Bertha Russell and her, uh, her husband, George Russell are new money people. They have a whole lot of it too. More than most of the high society people that they're trying to, well, not George isn't trying to impress, but Bertha is trying to impress and be a part of their group, this 400 group, which I'll go into more detail later, but she's, they've got more money than most of these old moneyed houses, but they're still not included. Why? Because they've decided that because the Russells are new money and new to the area that they can't be a part of the group. And it's as simple as that. And so the whole show, which is again, why I would understand why a lot of folks would not be interested in this show, because the whole crux of this thing is the uh, Bertha Russell wants to move her family into high society. She wants to be a part of the in crowd. And the whole show is about the trials and tribulations of Bertha and her children and many and other people in, in this group trying to either get into society, maintain society and maintain their wealth. Because again, while wealth isn't the thing that makes you a part of this group, wealth certainly does help um, as we come to know. So anyway, in the next, um, in the next portion of this thing, what I'm going to do is give you the particulars. I already said that Carrie Coons plays, um, plays Bertha Russell um, Morgan Spector plays George Russell, and I just need to pause. That man's voice, of course, he's attractive to look at, but that man's voice, that's like, if you could describe someone's voice as a food, I would say he, he, <laughs> that's a steak and potatoes with a deep red Merlot. That's a rich, meaty voice that that man has. But anyway, not to mention that his presence on screen is just woof. But anyway, and I am not the only one. So before I'm, I'm anyway, I can't be shamed on this. I am not the only one that finds him attractive anyway. Um, but he's like the perfect person for this because of who he represents. And so anyway, in the next segment, I'm going to talk. Um, I'm going to talk. I think I'm going to bring up a few more characters only because of their significance to the story. And the reason I will bring up the reason why I am actually watching this, because apart from this one particular reason, I wouldn't be interested in the show. Um, but so I'll talk about the particulars and all of that in a second when I come back.
All right, so The Gilded Age, in its first season, first premiered on January 24th of this year. Um, At the moment, there are nine episodes, well, there are eight episodes at the time of this recording. There will be nine um, episodes. They do come out on Mondays, which I don't know why I thought they came out on Sundays, but the episodes are released on Mondays. Um, And I think there are only... I'm wondering how many episodes. Actually, I I said, remember how I told you um, that this last episode, episode seven, was the penultimate? I actually don't think that's the penultimate episode. I actually think, hold on, I'm trying to go through and find out how many episodes there will be. I think there's only nine so then maybe, and I, I meant, I said episode seven. What I mean to say is episode eight was the penultimate. And I think that that might be true. Although HBO tends to go to 10. So we'll see. Um, yeah, H- HBO tends to go to 10 episodes. But um, anyhow, what I want to share is, because I got to be honest with you, the people that this show wants me to pay attention to, I don't, I'm not really into, you know who I'm into? Well, let me just go through. So let me back up and and just share. So I told you it was released January 24th of this year. It's in its first season. Um, It's an HBO Max show. Um, At the moment, it's got 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. So a lot of people really like that. That's a very high rating. Um, It's 80% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Let me read you the... Um, review. So it's uh, 80% average tomato score. Uh, the audience score is averaged at 69. Um, yeah, I really don't see any critics' notes here. Um, the show, in a nutshell, oh, well, so 80% rotten, uh, 80% fresh on rotten tomatoes, 89%. Of Google users like this TV show, of which I am one. And again, there's only one particular, there's one particular reason why I'm continuing to watch this. And then, like, while I'm here, there's a reason why I'm staying, right? Like, I, I, I enjoy this particular aspect of it, but I'll, tell, I'll get to it in a second. So, in a nutshell, the American Gilded Age, because there's probably another show from some other country that's talked about it, but the Gilded Age um, that I'm talking about. um, Oh, sorry. Never mind. I'm tripping. The American Gilded Age was a period of immense economic change, great conflict between the old ways and brand new systems, and huge fortresses were made and lost. I said fortresses. Fortunes were made and lost in 18... This is not about the... I'm going to keep reading. Um, This is from... This is from... um, what you call it? Wiki. Um, in 1882, young Marion Brooke moves from rural Pennsylvania. And I'm so not interested in her storyline. But anyway, she moves from rural Pennsylvania to New York City after the death of her father to live with her aunts, Agnes Van Ryan. Interesting way to spell Ryan, by the way. Agnes Van Ryan is spelled, well, Agnes is normal and Van is normal, but I don't think I've ever seen Ryan spelled this way. R-H-I-J-N. That must be like, that must be like Swedish or Norwegian or something like that. Um, And then Ada Brooks. So Agnes Van Ryan and Ada Brooke. um, Those are her aunts. Accompanied by Peggy Scott, who is the reason why I'm watching this show. Peggy Scott, the character Peggy Scott is the reason why I'm, she's the only reason why I'm watching this show. 
and then I'm staying for two other characters. But Peggy Scott is the only reason why I'm watching this show. Um, accompanied by Peggy Scott, an aspiring writer seeking a fresh start. And then they move back on to Marion. Marion inadvertently becomes enmeshed in a social war between one of her aunts, a scion of the old money set. And so one of her aunts is Agnes Van Ryan, a scion of the old money sets. Um, and her stu- stupendously rich neighbors, a ruthless railroad ty- tycoon and his ambitious wife, I've already described, George and Bertha Russell. So I'm here for Peggy Scott. She is a black woman character, a black woman writer, which was hugely important for the black community in the United States at the turn of the century. A lot of important information was shared thanks to white writers and black and women. So black writers and women writers at that. The black press was immensely important and it still is today. The black press was immensely important at the turn of the century, and it still is today. The black press is the reason why we knew we have accurate accountings, more accurate accountings of lynchings across the United States of black people. The black press in the United States is the reason why you even know about half of the lynchings that you know about that happened to black people across these United States. But I'll, I'll come back to that later. But so I'm so I'm absolutely positively here for Peggy Scott. There's another reason why I'm supremely interested in this role, because I live in Baltimore. I live right here in Baltimore, where the NAACP was established or at least had its headquarters. And there was a lot of business right here in Baltimore. Maybe people don't know that. And the NAACP, who was the head of the NAACP? Come on, like do your history. So. Um, uh, oh, her name is gone for me and I'll get it back in a second because I'm excited. But um, Delta has a huge, Delta Sigma Theta sorority has a huge history here. Why? Because De- Delta Sigma Theta was um, established in, at Howard, Howard University, second oldest black uh, sorority, um, historically black sorority, but it was founded largely on politics and many of its members, including um, her name is gone from me. Black Greeks were all up and through the news media and black Greeks were all up and around Baltimore. Um, uh, uh, du Bois, W.E.B. Du Bois was here, um, who established uh, here in New York, here in New York, um, and DC of course, but, um, and Baltimore and New York, um, W.E.B. Du Bois established the W. Uh, NAACP. Am I saying something wrong? Let me come back to that. Anyway, there's a. <laughs> let me let me get my, collect my thoughts and do my do my googles really quickly. Um, but I'm it, there's a huge newspaper history here in Baltimore. The Afro is one of the oldest newspapers in the country, and it's right here. It's produced right here in Baltimore. The Afro. One of the oldest black newspapers in these United States is still active and going here in Baltimore. And again, I say that um, black news media is the only reason why you know about lynchings of black people in the United States. And, and we don't even know all of them. We know what we, we're able to know based on these accountings. And so Peggy Scott represents to me that voice that important work that was happening. Um, 
And her story is interesting too. Um, I really do not care at all her relationship to Marion. I don't care about Marion's character. I know the show wants me to care about Marion's character. I don't. I care more about her aunt, Agnes Van Ryan, um, because she's the old scion that's one of the people that's saying who can come in and who can't. And again, the Russells are richer than the Van Ryans. The Russells are richer than half of the big names that you hear in the show, which by the way, these families, many of the families are actually real, but the Van Ryans family isn't real. The Russell family isn't real. It's based on other families. Um, but some of the families that are mentioned in this show are that these families were powerful at the Gilded Age and they still exist today. And some of them are still a part of that 400. There's still a blue book of names that are supposed to be about high society in New York. I don't know so much that it's based in New York anymore so much as it's just high society that just happens to be um, have housing in the Northeast specifically in and around New York and, um, you know, those vacation spots in the Northeast, in the upper Northeast. But anyway, um, so I'm interested in, in Agnes Van Ryan for her being like the gatekeeper. I am supremely, supremely interested in George and Bertha Russell for different reasons. George is a, is a robber baron. So he basically got all his money by hook or by crook. He just was ruthless. And that's how he got his money. And Morgan Spector playing him is like super fascinating. It's, it's, it's well acted. And um, Carrie Coons, who's playing Bertha, who's both strong in her portrayal, but then also kind of weak because, again, she really wants she's vul- I wouldn't say weak, but vulnerable because she really wants to be a part of high society. And so for most of this season, and I'm, I'm, I sense there's a turn happening because something happened in the last episode that was completely humiliating to um, Bertha, Bertha Russell, which will probably launch her into a shift that we'll see, that we'll realize in the second season because it's already been renewed. Um, I think it was renewed. The show was renewed after its second episode, second or third episode, it was already renewed. I remember because people were really frustrated that everybody was into Abbott Elementary and everybody agreed that it was a show that was the bomb and it hadn't been renewed at that time. It's finally been renewed now as the, the you know, we're coming off of the mid-season break, but, um, you know, the network mid-season break. But yeah, um, Gilded Age has been renewed to second season. And what we, again, I think this week's episode, again, the airing, the, the week that this show is airing, that Bay Baltimore is airing, um, this week's episode, this past Monday's episode was the penultimate. I, so I think the last episode is episode nine of this season. It could be episode 10 and, and number nine is the penultimate. I'm not 100%. But it looks like there's about to be a shift because Bertha was humiliated. Um, and Bertha is not the type of person that's just going to sit down and allow herself to be humiliated. <clears throat> so I'm supremely interested in her twisting and turning because she's making her way into society largely because she's buying it. And another, actually she's buying it. And I'm going to tell you how this shift happens. So in the very beginning, everybody gives her the cold shoulder. Everyone gives her the cold shoulder. She thinks that money and her proximity to all of these fancy rich people 
is letting her in, but she's getting the cold shoulder left and right. And then um, of these women. And what we keep learning is that the men, they keep giving this scenario. And what we recognize is at the turn of the century and right, probably right up until the 70s, women didn't, weren't able, even able to own bank accounts. So this show is making it seem like women ran their households and they had immense power. They only had immense power in as much as the, the misses in the slave house had immense power over her servants, over her, over the black uh, families that, and individuals that her husband's slave master owned. So let's put it into that context. I do not like the fact that the show is making it seem like these women were all powerful and had all this power. No, they were lording their, these women were largely, largely treated these house, these servants as like things and property. Let's be for real. We are not far removed from slavery. So this show's portrayal of these women as just super powerful women, they're not super powerful. You don't have a whole lot of standing. You make it, let's be for real. You have power over other women. You do not have power over other, anybody else. You don't. And so again, it's a place to create some exclusivity and, and power dynamics in a time where women did not have a whole lot of power. And so what did they do? They usurped their power over less powerful and, and read moneyed white men, less money. If you didn't have any money. So if you were a poor white man, this rich white woman had power over you. If you were, uh, even if you were a rich black person, these rich white people, still had power over you. This rich white woman still had power over you. So let's, the show does this really funny thing where it's like, oh, it was just about class. It's not just about class. It was also about race. Let's be for real. They talk about race because Peggy's there. They show Marion being completely naive and they have this dialogue and they're really trying to do it justice. But the reality of it is they have Peggy moving around in these white homes especially of the Van Ryans. And I don't doubt that perhaps there were Quakers because what we know is that there were Quakers that existed or people who lived with Quaker values in and around Pennsylvania, in and around New York. We know that huge Quaker communities actually all on the East Coast, all the way from the tip of Maine, all the way down right into Maryland, huge Quaker communities where equality was a common practice. And so what we see is that um, Agnes Van Ryan, who's played by Christine Baranski, um, who is a pretty awesome actress, actually, um, is playing Agnes Van Ryan as a very stoic woman who's been through a whole lot. And you get the sense that she was abused because of uh, physically abused by her, her late husband, um, Mr. Van Ryan, but that she married him to get money, to get, to get wealth or to get wealth and, and position in society. And she took care of her sister who was unmarried in the process. And she took on a lot, which I don't know that we've learned enough about probably what she might've gone through. And the fact that that experience was probably very typical of women back in the day marrying. Remember, well, I don't know that depending on how old you are, and certainly people of my age, you probably don't know that this was a thing, but women of my, my parents' age um, and that generation were still encouraged to go to college to get their misses, their MRS instead of their bachelor. 
you know, their bachelor's degree or their master's degree or what have you. They, they were sent to college to find eligible bachelors who would be able to make money. That was kind of part of that process. And I'm talking about black folks. Like, yes, education was super important, but for black women, even in the 70s, 60s, 50s and 40s for sure, and younger, yeah, you were encouraged to go to college, but it was more important for you to marry well, marry security, um, instead of pursuing your own goal, right? Um, and so it stands to reason that people like Agnes Van Ryan um, put up with a lot of things because what we know is that men, spousal abuse was not something that people too much talked about. I've talked about this in one of my episodes. Um, remember when I talked about, um, HBO's, I think it was like a 1994 documentary where it was talking about American violence and America's relationship to just gun violence and violence in itself. There was a portion of that documentary where it talked about women at the turn of the century and children at the turn of the century and how they were abused and how the abuse that even in the eyes of the authority was seen as something that was an in-home matter. That, that a man who openly beat his wife or abused his children um, were only scalded to not do it so much as to leave bruises and to have the family wail so loud as to disturb their neighbors, but not to not do that at all. Right. So that was, so that was the thinking at the turn of the century at the Gilded Age. Remember this is the show I said in 1900 when again, electricity was first being introduced in every single household. It wasn't just a new invention, but it was something that was going to be a part of everyone's life. When railroads were being built and, and stations were being built more efficiently and larger to transport more people. When there were upgrades to the train, when we were moving from steam power to electric power trains, um, the telephone, all of that. So I, told, I fully expect for this show to cover all of those advances. This is already by the eighth episode talked about technological advances in electricity, right? The, the whole thing was like a, a, the... What do you call it? The apex of the show or the climax of the show was lighting of what I think ends up being Union Station, which still exists today. Um, Somebody from New York can can tell me if probably that history. I'm not going to look into it. But anyway, like so that was like the big deal. And then, of course, Marion and her storyline. Again, they really want me to care about Marilyn, Marion, but I don't. I care more about the guy that is that Marion is is thinking about marrying and his social climbing than perhaps Marion herself. She's just not interesting. But again, Agnes Van Ryan is. Peggy is. Peggy Scott is supremely interesting because in this last episode, two things that we learned, and I'm going to Google um, NAACP because I really want to NAACP founding. Yeah, because it moved. You all know that the NAACP was founded, was housed here in Baltimore. Um, Not too far. That's super far from where I'm living right now. That's super far. Um, 
Actually, it's a little bit far from where I'm living right now. Like you couldn't walk to it from where I am down here in downtown. But um, and then they moved to D.C. They moved their headquarters to D.C. because they wanted to be where the action was, I guess, because Baltimore wasn't good enough. Anyway, um, but NAACP, let me tell you who founded the baby. Who founded your baby? Is there no wiki? Because certainly you can find NAACP branches all over in uh, NAACP founding founding because again i'm talking okay so february 12 1909 still very much around the nine years after the turn of the century it was founded in new york city um but come on with the come on with the w-e-b du- i told you w-e-b du bois w-e-b du bois who and ida b wells ida b let me tell you about ida b so ida b is a member of delta sigma theta delta sigma theta is huge here i'm not a member of De- delta sigma theta as you know i'm a member of sigma gamma rosa Rooney incorporated but i do respect all of our divine nine uh greeks and what I know is that Ida B. Wells is one of the most famous journalists, black journalist. Um, I think she's, is she a, is she a, um, what you call it? An honorary member of, of Delta Sigma Theta? Anyway, um, I think she's an honorary member. I think so, I think so, I think so. Legacies and honors, real quick. It doesn't matter. You can Google her anyway. um, But no, she is the reason why there are several accounts of lynchings across these United States. What we know that she was building her case to support to get support for anti lynching laws that you do you understand have still not passed into this day. Do you know that there are still there are no anti lynching laws on these United States books anywhere? You know, they haven't passed federally. Not, a, not even a little bit. But anyway, she was doing her level best. Um, she was one of the co- co-founders of the NAACP. Do, do, am I right to think that she had a relationship with? No, she did not have a relationship with W.E.B. Du Bois, but she was a part of the founding group. They founded it in New York City. It's headquartered here. It was for the longest headquartered, headquartered here in um, Baltimore. Hold on, let me just verify, verify. Yeah, so on June 29th, 2020, Washington, D.C. radio station WTOP reported that the NAACP intended to relocate its national headquarters from longtime home of Baltimore, because it was in Baltimore, to somewhere down in in D.C., because who cares? But anyway, um, because there was no reason for them to move from Baltimore whatsoever. But anyway, um, here's my point. In my opinion, Peggy is an amalgamation of Ida B. Wells and other black women who, at the turn of the century, were doing great reporting. Ida B. Wells just happens to be a very important one because she helped found the NAACP, as well as was one of the loudest voices, if not the loudest voices, to document anti-lynching or to, to document lynching cases across the United States as a means to appeal to the humanity and the readers of folks and just to document the thing. And it's because of her documentation as a journalist It's because of her journalism that we even know about half of what was happening at the turn of the century. 
anyway, and so that's why her story is is so important in my opinion. Peggy's story is so important and more important than freaking Marion's. We're spending so much time on freaking Marion. It's just, just it's uh, annoying. But you know, I, I don't know. I don't I couldn't tell you why. She's not important in my opinion. Again, the guy that Marion is trying to get with. Who's the guy that Marion is trying to get with? Um Danae Benton plays Peggy Scott. Danae is pretty. Um hold on. Come on. Let's get to it. Louisa Jacobson plays Marion Brooke. Again, I don't care about her character. I mean, it's interesting, but not that interesting. Um, who, who, shucks. Who's playing the guy that Peggy is trying, not Peggy, but, uh, oh, come on. Oh, this is unfortunate. Come on. The one person that I think is super interesting, the guy that is, they're setting up to kind of be like a, he, come, he coming across real shy, so we'll see how it goes. But I cannot see the guy that she's supposed to be. Come on, show more. Aha! Tom Rakes is a social climber in this thing. He comes from Pennsylvania, and this is how we were introduced to Tom, to Tom Rakes, who's played by Thomas Cockerell, who I think is Australian, or maybe English. He's got a real thick accent, but like in real life as an actor, but like in his role, he just has a Pennsylvania Dutch. I don't even think it's a Pennsylvania Dutch accent. It's just he's he's got like a a little bit of an accent, not a New York accent, but like a little bit of like a a little bit of a Pennsylvania accent, but probably like Pennsylvania and probably closer to what the accent might have sounded like back then. But anyway, so he's the accountant that told Louisa, baby, you don't have any money at the very beginning or not Louisa, but uh, Marion Brooke, you don't have any money. You need to go live with your aunts in New York. And so she does. And he acts like he's smitten with her. I'm saying acts because I'm suspicious of him, but he acts like he's suspicious. He's, he's smitten with her and then comes to New York, finds a job in New York and, and helps Peggy to do some research, which we learn about later was to find her child that her parents that, that died in childbirth that her parents, uh, to a married, to, in her marriage, she was married to a man that her parents didn't, her well-off parents did not appreciate. Be- Peggy's family is rich, um, but they're like black rich at the turn of the century. You know what I mean? So like they still have to live where the black people live, but they're affluent. Anyway, um, but no, so like Peggy's whole deal is she's coming back for a f- fresh start from Philadelphia. She had to move from Philadelphia because her parents made her divorce, her husband divorce her. And she comes to New York, back to New York. Her, fa- her parents think she's coming back to live with them. She actually ends up uh, helping Marion Brooke uh, because her- Marion Brooke got robbed at the train station. And so she, that's how she comes to befriend Marion Brooke. And then she ends up staying with Agnes Van Ryan and her sister, uh, Ada Brooke, um, to just, you know, do her writing and make her own living because she doesn't want to live with her parents because her parents, she blames her parents for ruining her marriage, which they did do. Um, and also she's still mourning the loss of her child, which is supposed to be a scandalous thing that she even had a child. Um, and the, the, the idea was that she might have had it out of wedlock, which it wasn't out of wedlock. She was married at the time. Um, but that was a huge, supposedly a huge scandal in that society circle. And so 
Anyway, there's a point where um, in episode eight, Peggy Scott has to leave the Van Ryan home, the Van Ryan Brook home, because she might have brought scandal on that household, even being a servant. Or she wasn't a servant. She was a writer for Agnes Van Ryan. Um, but while she was also being a reporter for a black newspaper in New York. But anyway, she leaves the house as was probably appropriate because I really just want to, again, because I think Peggy's character is representative of Ida B. Wells and other black woman newspaper women who were reporting on very serious and important issues. I think she has to have her own storyline and I'm eager to see where that thing takes her. Um, just fun fact, Audra McDonald plays Audra McDonald plays her mother, Dorothy Scott. So yay for that. Um, but yeah, there's some other storylines in here too, like Oscar Van Ryan, Agnes Van Ryan's son, who is super gay. Um, but because of the society he's living in, he's doing this thing that a lot of rich and affluent men have done um, in the past, which is they've taken on a wife. And so he's trying to take on a wife to maintain his um, social standing and also cover the fact that he is a gay man. Um, and so he is literally doing this thing where he's trying to find somebody that he can hide the fact that he's gay from, still have his relationship with his partner, which is, it doesn't matter who his partner is, um, somebody else who's affluent but, um, or connected, but also to be able to look as if, appear as if he's like everyone else, which must have been a heck of a life. Very deceptive. And especially since he's trying to deceive someone who's young and inexperienced in love and sexual relationship. Um, and in this case, he's trying to dupe um, Bertha Russell's daughter, who is Gladys Russell, plays by Tessa Farmiga. Anyway, um, yeah, but that is a hugely interesting story. More interesting than Marion. Marion Brooks' story. I don't like that story. I like... Oscar Van Ryan's story, even though he's trying to goop, he's trying to dupe uh, Gladys, Van, uh, Gladys Russell and um, Bertha Russell. I'm more interested in his story. I'm more interested in Peggy Scott's story. I'm more interested in Bertha and um, Bertha and um, George's story. Those stories are interesting to me. Super. And, and also, I, I do want to see how Agnes, Agnes Van Ryan deals with the fact that Bertha Russell's character is about to come up. She's about to go through this. She is about to get her wish and can't wait to see that. Anyway, there's a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more here in this show. I will say this. This show is interesting, largely because of the storylines that, from my perspective, largely because of the storylines that, rep that are represented there. The, the gay man that is trying to perpetrate and fit into society and lie to himself and to his lovers in order to do that, deceive, deceive his would-be wife and, and sideline his lover in order to exist. But then also the fact that he's like trying to stay in his society too. Let's not, let's be for real about that. But also um, Peggy Scott's story and being a woman and, and getting her own independence, but also reporting on these stories, being a reporter, I think that's so doggone fascinating to me. 
Um, and then also, to be honest with you, George Russell is, it, he be doing some shady stuff. Like, I, I want to see some robber baroness. Like, we've already kind of seen it this, this season so far. And him, like, besting some of these people that were trying to fleece him for money, he got the better of them. And as a result, um, some people lost a whole lot of money, their whole livelihoods behind trying to come after him. He got them back and even better. And then I want to see how Russell, uh, how Bertha Russell can climb and make her own way. Like, I'm interested to see that. This is exciting to me. I would not have watched it because I got to be honest with you. I didn't see me in that show. I didn't see any historical value to that show or any, any value in watching that show. But having given it a chance and seeing Again, Peggy's, Peggy, Peggy Scott's character is the reason why I'm watching this show. And, but I'm staying for other reasons too. Like she's the reason that got me in the door, but I'm staying because there's a whole lot of other things that are very interesting and I can't not wait to see them play out. I do look for even greater um, historical representation in the second season. I am though interested to see how this first season ends. So hopefully I've explained well enough the importance of some of the context that they have in the show and, and why the show is actually kind of cool to be watching. Um, even though they're not getting everything right, again, they want you to pay attention to things that I think are very dull. Um, but there are other things that are very interesting that I think will be interesting to watch as the show progresses. I'm glad that it got a second season. I hope it gets a few more seasons as long as, as it keeps this pace as long as it keeps this energy the actors that they have are great um eager to see more so anyway i'm talking 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 i'm gonna cut this short because i've got some other things i need to do today um but i hope that you will give this show a chance if you have not done so um also watch winning time if you can because i think i'm gonna talk about that next um we'll see but anyway have a good day I know the weather is changing. Hopefully you're not buried under snow. Maybe you're in the rain right now, but stay dry. Keep your spirits up. Take your medicine, especially your sinus medicine, because this spring is not going to be nice. Um, but yeah, let's continue to be safe. Let's continue to... Today, today is a brand new day. And if today sucks, tomorrow, let's try again tomorrow. All right. Thank you so much for rating this uh, show favorably. I appreciate that immensely. Um, sharing the show with anybody, this episode with anybody that you think might enjoy it. Um, at the end of the day, this is still a hobby of mine. And so any help that you can give me, either rating this thing favorably, five, four or five stars and leaving a good review or um, sharing this and, and getting more people to listen to it is how we can spread the reach of the show. So I appreciate you immensely. Okay. All right, I'm done now. Until next time, take care.